Oh, Crossing family, I love you. And I am so excited for the gift that we have in store for you this weekend. Steve Poe is the legacy pastor of Northview Church in central Indiana. He's been a restaurateur, an entrepreneur, a financial planner, a radio station owner, an operator, a commodity trader. But then he decided to give the last 20 years of his life to being the lead pastor of Northview Church. And in those 20 years, that church grew from 500 people to over 10,000. He did this alongside of his wife and best friend, Sandy. He is respected all across this nation as a good man and a follower of Jesus and a Christian leader. He's a pastor's pastor. And he is here this weekend to share with us as we've been learning from his book that he's the author of, Creatures of Habit. So Crossing Family, would you put a warm crossing welcome together for our friend and our preacher this weekend, Steve Poe. Well, thank you, Crossing. Good morning. We'll try it again. Thank you, Crossing. Good morning. Hey, it is so good to be here. I've looked forward to this for a long time. As Clayton said, I'm Steve Poe. I pastored at Northview Church for over 23 years. And I've been friends with Jerry and Allison for over a decade, and they're just special people. Um, they're the real deal. I really don't know how much more I could say about that. And I'm just getting to know Clayton and Jenny, and they're very special as well. And you guys as a church are fortunate to have had two great pastors, men of integrity, strong leaders, men that not only love God, they love you. And uh, so you're fortunate as a church. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. What an incredible opportunity it is to be able to gather together and to worship you in spirit and in truth. God, we have sensed your presence in this place. And I pray, Lord, that as we get into your word this morning, that you would just challenge us, stir our hearts, open up our eyes and ears to see and hear all that you want to do in our life. Thanks, God. We love you and we praise you. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I grew up in a middle-class home with parents that absolutely loved me. And yet I had a father with a whole lot of unresolved anger. I never quite knew when he was going to blow or what it might be that would set him off. It could be anything from a teenager driving down the road too fast. He'd jump up out of his recliner running out, cursing and swearing at him. Or it might be that we had the television too loud at night when he was trying to sleep and he'd come busting out of the bedroom cursing and swearing at us. Whatever it was, when it happened, things got loud and the expletives began to fly. And these outbursts of anger created a lot of different emotions in me as a child. Everything from fear to embarrassment to, well, making me angry over his anger. On one particular occasion, I think I was maybe 11 years old, I was riding shotgun. I don't know where we were going, but um, my dad looked over to the side and didn't notice the car in front of him had stopped, and so he rear-ended the car. His first response was to turn to me and start screaming and yelling and swearing at me because I didn't tell him to stop. You see, something had obviously happened in my father's life long before he got in the car that day. I don't mean minutes or hours before, I mean years before. There had to be some injustice in his life that was totally unrelated to that fender bender, some hurt or offense that never got resolved, and so it left him responding to every perceived injustice with anger. After a while, that anger became so much a part of his life, he didn't even notice the damage it was doing to the people he loved the most. Now, fortunately for me, the story ends on a much happier note. 
Because in my teenage years, my dad stepped across the line of faith and found Christ as his Savior and Lord, and it radically changed him. He went out of his way to make sure I knew that he was proud of me and to make sure I knew that he loved me. And God became a priority for him. Now, at the same time, guys, I'm not trying to tell you that he never got angry again, because like all of us, there were things in his life that made him mad. But I do believe he worked hard on breaking this habit of anger in his life. Well, as you guys know, I wrote the book, Creatures of Habit, Breaking the Habits, Holding You Back from God's Best. It's a series you guys are finishing up this weekend. When I did the research for this book, what I discovered is that most of us greatly underestimate the power of habits in our life. In fact, experts tell us that over 40%, now wrap your brain around that, over 40%, almost half of everything we do during a day is done out of habit. That could be anything from uh, typing on a keyboard to playing a musical instrument to driving home from work. Those things are second nature to us. We don't even give them a thought anymore. So what is a habit? Well, a habit is a simple choice that we make that when it's repeated enough times, it becomes an unconscious pattern. I want you to remember that. When repeated enough times, it becomes an unconscious pattern. And those habits then become our identity. In other words, that's the way people know us and recognize us. They know us for the habits in our life, good or bad. Uh, An example would be, let's say that you are a very honest individual, but at the same time, you tend to complain just a little bit. Somebody asked me to tell them about you. And I say, well, they're as honest as the day is long, but they do tend to complain just a little bit. What have I done? I've described you by your habits. And that's the way we describe the people in our life, by the habits in our life. And so that's why it's so important that we create good habits. You say, yeah, but Stephen, how do I know if it's a good habit or a bad habit? That's a great question. I'm so glad you asked. Good habits reinforce your desire to be Christ-like. You read the New Testament, it becomes very clear that God wants us to emulate Jesus. And so good habits are the things that help that to happen. Those are the things that create Christ-likeness in our life. The Bible calls good habits spiritual disciplines. And those spiritual disciplines become stepping stones. In other words, those are the things that help us to grow and to mature in our faith. On the other hand, bad habits are just the opposite. Those are the things that conflict with Christ-likeness in our life. Those are the things that keep us from being the man or woman God wants us to be. And they're certainly not spiritual disciplines. The Bible calls those spiritual strongholds. They get a grip on us. They get a hold on us. Uh, The world calls them addictions. And they certainly are not stepping stones. If anything, they're tombstones in our life. They're a death to the purposes and plans God has for your life. Now, what I was surprised when I did the research for this book, I was surprised just how much the Bible does talk about habits in our life. Probably my favorite scripture about habits is Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where the Apostle Paul writes, do not conform, what is to conform means to take the shape of something, do not conform to the patterns of this world. What did we say a habit was? A habit is an unconscious pattern. Paul writes, do not conform or take the shape of the patterns of this world, but instead we need to be transformed. 
To be transformed is to be changed. How? By the renewing of your mind. A habit is a mindset. And so the way you break a mindset, you have to renew your mind and create a new habit, a good habit. So maybe you have the habit of lying, and now you're going to break that habit and create honesty, integrity, a habit of integrity or truth-telling in your life. Listen, guys, before you invited Jesus Christ to come into your life, the Bible makes it very clear that sin had a grip on you. Sin had a hold on you. But Paul tells us in Romans that when we invite Christ to come in our life, he gave us the power to say no to sin. He breaks that hold. He breaks that grip. At the same time, some of you say, but Steve, I've been a Christian now for a decade, and I still have these bad habits. You didn't get that habit overnight, and you're not going to break it overnight. You have to be intentional, make a decision that, you know what? This is not good for me spiritually. It's not good for me emotionally. I'm going to break this habit. And so you have to be intentional in doing so. I think this book will help you do that. There are 12 chapters. Um, Some say, well, how'd you come up with these 12 bad habits? And what I did is I made a list of 50 bad habits. I looked at them and said, okay, I'm going to write about the ones I struggle with. So I pulled out the 12 that I've struggled with to one degree or another. I tell a little bit about the habit, and then in each habit, I give you the steps you can take to break this once and for all. This is a great book for Bible studies because it creates such discussion. It's great for small groups, for men's groups, women's groups, and it's also a good workbook. Some of you might say, Steve, I don't like to read, okay? Then what's one habit you want to break this year that's in here? Read that book, read that particular chapter, work those points, and just continue to work on that chapter until you break that habit. A year from now, it starts to come back on you. Just go back and work the points again until you break this once and for all. I'd love to sign a copy for you afterwards. I'll be out out in the uh, foyer. Today, I want us to talk about the habit of anger. But guys, I think it's important to mention that anger is not always a bad thing. In fact, anger is a God-given emotion. It's when it becomes a habit or the way we automatically respond to things, that's when it becomes a problem. So an example would be, let's say that you say something to me that's offensive and it makes me angry. And so I lash out at you, I blast you, and I walk away and it just felt good, felt right to let you have it. And then tomorrow, somebody else says something to offend me, and I remember how good that felt, and so now I lash out at you. It felt good again. Before I know it, that's just going to be the way I respond to everybody because I create a habit. Guys, everyone in this room knows of somebody in your life that you would say, yep, they're just an angry individual. They're just an angry person. Anger is one of the most common struggles that I think we have. Now, anger was designed by God to help us deal with any threat that might come into our life. But it becomes a problem when you lose control of your words or your actions. For instance, don't we all know that Jesus got angry? Do you remember when he ran the money changers out of the temple? The merchants were turning religion into a money-making scam, and it ticked him off. It angered him. I think there's other things that make Jesus angry. Any kind of injustice angers God. I think it angers God to see an adult harm a child. And yet, even though Jesus got angry, the scripture is clear. He never sinned. 
You see, the type of anger that Jesus demonstrated was more of a righteous indignation. He got angry at the actions of those who acted contrary to God's standard of right or wrong, to God's standard of fairness, justice, and goodness. This type of anger is directed more at the wrong that is done. Hear me, it's directed at the wrong that is done, not so much towards the person involved. In fact, it's this kind of anger that's produced great movements today, like MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Their anger over the loss of their children motivated them to do something about it by creating one of the largest victim advocate groups in America today. On the other hand, anger is an emotion that many of us experience when the things in our world just don't go the way we want them to go. Maybe you've been working really hard toward that promotion and it goes to somebody else and that just ticks you off. Maybe you tell your kids to clean their room, but they just continue to ignore you and that makes you so mad. Again, guys, if anger becomes your immediate response every time you don't like something, then you establish a habit in your life and it has the potential to hurt your health, to wreck your peace of mind, to destroy your relationships and even threaten your career. Seriously, I don't know how many times my father came home to tell my mother that he'd been fired again. I really don't, it happened constantly. One time, several years ago, I brought in uh, Dr. Um, Richard Dobbins, a psychologist, to speak to a men's group. And I had probably 400 guys that were in the room that day. And I remember when Dr. Dobbins stepped up on the platform, he looked out at those men and he said, gentlemen, men struggle with three issues, anger issues, sexual issues, and you lie about the first two. Anger has become an epidemic in America today. I don't think I have to work very hard to convince you of that. We all see it everywhere we go. There's signs of our nation's irritability everywhere you go. The polarization of our political system, the everyday nastiness of the online world, the cancel culture, come on, it's out of control. Or even worse yet is the workplace or school shootings. It's gotten to where you feel like at least once a month we're going to turn the news on and hear about another school shooting or another workplace shooting. Guys, it's gotten so bad we're afraid to lock eyes with anyone in fear they might pull out a gun. And yet, after saying all that, most violence in America is not random. The American SPCC, for instance, says there's over 4 million child abuse cases reported annually. Four million child abuse cases reported. Can you imagine how many more go unreported? And most of those are by angry, out-of-control parents. Friends, no one is born with anger issues. It is learned behavior. I mean, can you imagine me coming up here this morning carrying a little infant, a little baby, just so sweet. Everybody would awe and ooh, and, and they would love it. And then you, they say, that's the, you all say, that's the sweetest baby I've ever seen. And I'm like, oh, no, this is an angry one. Well, it's just silly. It's ridiculous because we know that's not the case. Anger is learned behavior, which is why, listen to me, moms and dads, please, which is why if you are a parent, you need to learn to control your anger in front of your kids. You say, well, that's just the way I am. Well, you better understand that that's the way your kids are going to be because you're teaching them to respond to circumstances out of anger. 
Psychologists today have called our generation the age of rage. It's become so common, we've created our own rage vocabulary. For instance, road rage. All of you have heard of that, maybe experienced it. Checkout rage. Phone rage. You get put on hold too long. We even see it in recreational activities such as golf rage. Yeah, it's a thing. Several years ago, I was golfing with three other pastors, and this one guy was just having a bad day. I mean, the poor guy, every, every, time, every time he took a swing, it just went the wrong way. And he was getting, you could just see it and feel it. He was getting more and more frustrated and more and more angry. Finally, we come to a hole, he hits it, the ball goes into the pond, and he's just done. He takes his club, swings it, and throws it into the pond. Awkward. And then he gets into the golf cart and drives on. Well, the next two holes, there's not much conversation going on. We're all pretty quiet. And then finally, he just says, I'll be back. And he gets in the cart. He drives back to that pond. He wades out into that murky water, finds his club, comes back. He's muddy from here down and plays the rest of the day in that murky clothes. Proverbs chapter 14, 29 says, people with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. Now, I know there's some of you that might argue and say, Steve, I, I, I really can't. I know what you're saying, but I can't control my anger. Well, I'm going to push back a little bit here and say, while you might not be able to control this situation, you might not be able to control how it makes you feel, you certainly can control how you express your anger. It reminds me of a story I read several years ago, and it's said to be a true story. You know how in other countries they oftentimes do outdoor passion plays? Well, in this particular community, every year they did this passion play, and they do it in the streets, and so the audience is along the sidewalk. This was supposed to be the Via Della Rosa, and Jesus is carrying his cross. On this particular day, he's walking up the street, carrying his cross, and there's a heckler. And this heckler is so obnoxious and so rude, and he's not just staying in one place. As Jesus walks, he's following him up, just being abusive. And it comes to a point, all of a sudden, Jesus stops. He puts down the cross, and he walks over to the guy, and he punches him in the face. And he walks back over. And he picks up his cross, and he just starts going again. Well, you can imagine after the play, the director came up and said, what are you doing? He said, I cannot have the actors abusing the audience, especially the one playing Jesus. He's like, I'm so sorry, man. I just lost my cool. I wasn't thinking it will never happen again. He said, it better not. Day two, same scenario, same heckler, just keeps going. He finally gets to a point, he breaks, he puts down the cross, he goes over and he hits him again. He comes back and on he goes. The director afterwards said, you're done, you're fired, I can't have that. And the guy said, please don't fire, if you fire me, no one will ever hire me to act in this town again, I'm just finished. He said, you gotta give me one more chance. And he said, I'll give you one more chance, but I'm telling you, if you do anything like that ever again, don't even come looking for me. Just get your stuff and get out of here, and I will make sure you never work in this community again. So day three, same scenario. He's carrying it, same heckler, more obnoxious than he's ever been. He's squeezing his fist, grinding his teeth, doing everything he can, and finally he stops. And he turns toward the heckler, and he said, I'll meet you after the resurrection. And on he goes. Guys, if we don't learn to control our anger, we will never be like Jesus. Some of you try to use anger to motivate people to action. 
You yell at your kids to motivate their behavior. You yell at the sales clerk to motivate her to help you. You yell at your employees to motivate them to work harder. And you know what? It works, at least in the short term. You can scare people into doing almost anything. But guys, in the long run, listen to me, in the long run, you will always lose because anger always alienates people. I mean, when someone is shouting at you and yelling at you, does it, does it make you want to give them a hug? No. When someone is in your face and they're shouting at you, what do you do? You're, you're backing away. You're putting your hand up. It's like, get away from me. Go on. I don't want to hear this. You shut down. Anger always alienates people. If you are a parent and you are using anger to motivate your kids, listen to me you are actually pushing your kids away. Let me explain what I mean. When your kids were young, they thought you were a superhero. Come on. Everyone else might think you're a bit quirky. Some people might think you're a bit odd. Not your kids. They think you can do no wrong. Their spirits are wide open. But guys, if you continue, listen to me, if you continue to show anger towards your children, it will close down their spirit. They can't move out, so they'll still live under your roof, but their spirits are closed. And what do we do as parents? We say, oh, it's just the generations today. It's just the way kids are today. Or we'll say, it's a generation gap. No, it's not a generation gap. No, it's not the way kids are today. You have shut down their spirit. And it's very difficult to get their spirit wide open again. And the only way you're going to do that is if they see you really are, first of all, repentive of it, that you're sorry for it, and that you're getting help for the anger in your life. Paul addresses this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. He said, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Friends, listen. If you struggle with the habit of anger, you might feel like there's nothing you can do, but you have more control over your anger than you think you do. You can learn to express your emotions without losing control. So today, I want to give you a few steps you can use to break this habit in your life once and for all. But hear me on this. If you work these steps and it still doesn't work, please hear me. You work these steps and it still doesn't work. You need to get professional help. You need to get a counselor, especially someone that specializes in anger issues. I cannot overstate this. Because, so you work the steps and you say, Steve, it just didn't work. Get help. Because guys, if you don't, you're going to come to the end of your life with all kinds of regrets. You don't just close the spirit of children. You close down the spirit of everyone in your life that's close to you. And you're going to come to the end of your life, and the people that you love the most aren't going to be there. And those that are there are only there out of obligation. So if that's not the way you want to end your life, I don't care how old you are. I don't care how long. Everybody says, well, everybody just knows that's the way I am. I've just been this way. People understand it. No, they don't understand it. You're deceiving yourself. They don't understand it. So there has to come a point where you say to your family, I'm sorry that I've hurt you. I'm sorry that I've demonstrated and taken this anger out on you. I've worked the steps, it's not working, so I'm gonna get help, professional help. I hope you can bring yourself to forgive me one day. You'll be surprised how forgiving people can be. You'll be surprised the family that loves you will jump at the chance to see you break this habit 
once and for all in your life. But guys, we often try to excuse our behavior by blaming other people for our anger, don't we? You know, you, you talk to somebody about their anger and they'll say, well, it's those, it's those kids of mine that caused me to be so angry. Or my coworkers make me so mad. You know, Steve, if she wouldn't have said that, I wouldn't have lost my temper. Listen, guys, before you ever break this habit of anger, you have to own it. You have to take responsibility. I already told you, all 12 chapters, I've struggled with all of them to one degree or another. So I've owned it. I've owned each one. And because I owned it, I was able to deal with each one in my life. So you have to own the problem first, and then you can begin to take the steps. So let me quickly give you, in the time we have left, some of the steps you can take. Number one, identify the source of your anger. Guys, if you have a habit of losing control over every perceived injustice, you need to figure out what's really behind your anger. Because guys, anger is rarely the primary problem. In other words, it's usually the result of a much deeper problem, a much deeper issue like pride or hurt or insecurity or embarrassment. But once I understand what's behind my anger, then I'm more likely to resolve it. Let me give you a personal example. When I was in my 30s, I started having a great deal of muscle and joint pain. Um, I, I started going to doctors trying to figure it out and Nobody seemed to be able to pinpoint what it was. Some said it was stress. Some people said it was fibromyalgia. Other people had other names. They were throwing out all kinds of names. Nobody seemed to be able to figure out what it was. But pain is debilitating. And I just know that I was in a lot of pain. And I know that because of that, my temper was short. I was impatient. And all of a sudden, during that period, I'm taking it out on the people I love the most. They're doing something just not the way I wanted it, and I'm letting them have it. So pain can be an underlying problem of your anger. Emotional pain can be an underlying problem. Some of you have got unresolved issues from maybe when you were a child and you've never dealt with it, and it's causing you to be angry to this day. Some of you just maybe had a broken relationship, and it's causing you to be angry and causing you to lose your temper. Maybe someone, whatever. There's just all kinds of common causes of anger. I'm just saying, if you can identify the source of your anger, you're more likely to understand how to deal with it. Number two, learn to calm down before you react. Here's the thing about the emotion of anger. They're all God-given emotions, but the emotion of anger is one we can feel, can't we? It's like, when I start to get angry, I feel it deep in my gut, and it starts to rise. The more angry I get, the more I feel it coming up. So when I recognize it, when I recognize there's a problem of anger, I just need to calm down. I just need to walk away when I start to feel those emotions rise. I need to take a few minutes to collect my thoughts and just explain it. If your kids, if you're angry at your kids and you want to lay into them and you know that's not what I want to do, so just simply say to them, we're going to talk about this this evening. So I want you to think about it. I'm gonna walk away right now, and you calm down. And once you've calmed down, then you come back and have the conversation with your spouse to just say, you know, I don't wanna have this conversation right now. I'm too, too angry, and you calm down. Now, I know, listen, I know that's easier said than done because the emotion of anger is a tough one. And when that emotion is rising, you wanna lay into that person. But if you seriously wanna break this once and for all, you've got to be intentional about walking away. 
Ask your, self-talk is also very helpful. Ask yourself questions. Is it really worth getting this upset over? Will my anger really solve anything? Proverbs 29.11 says, fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. In other words, think before you speak. Put your mind in gear before you put your mouth in motion. I heard it said before, I've never regretted silence, but I've often regretted what I spoke. I love the book of James. He's just so blunt. I mean, he just cuts right to the chase and says it the way it is. In chapter 1, verse 19, he says, you must be quick to learn, excuse me, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Right to the point. That's a refrigerator verse, man. Stick that up. You got to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Number three, get some exercise. Some of you say, man, that's out of left field. Where did that come from? What do we got to exercise for? Seriously, it helps. Exercise helps. It helps to take a walk, to go to the gym. Whatever you need to do to reduce your level of anger and stress. Experts say that exercise helps increase the release of endorphins in our body, which helps to reduce your stress level. Number four, let go of my anger correctly. Guys, I could spend the whole time just talking about this point. There's a lot that could be said about how we let go of our anger. You're not going to handle, you cannot handle your anger in inappropriate ways. For instance, don't repress it. Now, some of you would say, but Steve, as a Christian, I would think that's the way we're supposed to respond. As a Christian, I'm not supposed to blow up at people. Aren't I supposed to repress it? No. Your anger is always going to find a way to be expressed, sometimes through sarcasm. Some of you think you're pretty witty with your sarcasm, but it's actually coming from repressed anger. Some of you try to manipulate to get your own way. Others of you have a vindictive spirit, and you say, I don't get mad, I just get even. Listen, friends, whether you complain, blame, or criticize, people that are negative are usually trying to repress their anger. But friends, again, anger will always find a way of release. Several years ago, I did a funeral for a 14-year-old boy that was struck and killed by lightning. And it was a horrible scene, and, but the, the uncle was knocked out unconscious, but he came back, and the dog was knocked unconscious, but the boy took a direct hit. And I remember as seeing this and saying to the police officer, I noticed on the boy, his jeans blew out and his knees. And I said, what in the world is that all about? And the police officer said, electricity always has to find a way of release. And it came out his knees. It will always find a way of release. And I remember walking away from that thinking, man, that's just like anger. Anger always has to find a way of release. By the way, there's another word for repressed anger. You know what that word is? Depression. Depression is frozen rage, repressed anger. And yet, guys, on the flip side, you can't just express your anger with violent or abusive reactions or verbal abuse. That's the way my father responded. When you do, you leave burn marks on everyone in your path. One pastor said, we often act like a skunk. We spray our stinking temper on anyone that gets in our way. Number five, practice forgiveness. Forgiveness can be a good habit. Unforgiveness is a bad habit, but you can create the habit of forgiveness in your life. We know Jesus was unjustly beaten and mocked. They placed a crown of thorns on his head and they nailed his hands and feet to a wooden cross. If anybody had the right to be angry, it was certainly Jesus. Do you remember what he said? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
If you really want to get rid of your anger, you have to make the decision, be intentional, that you're going to forgive the person who's done you wrong. If I make that decision today, I don't like it, it hurt, but I'm going to forgive you. I don't like it, it hurt, but I'm going to forgive you. Before you know it, that just becomes who you are. That becomes a good habit in your life. Colossians 3 says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Lewis Smedes once wrote, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover the prisoner is you. And yet forgiveness is a process. And while it might take time to let it go, you can forgive that person that wronged you. Number six, give your anger an expiration date. Guys, there are some of you in this room that have been holding on to anger for decades. There are some of you in this room that you're angry over something that happened to you as a child and you've never let it go. Some of you had something happen earlier this year and you're still holding on to it. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, don't let 24 hours go by before you resolve it. Don't let a 24-hour period go by until you get rid of this once and for all. So it's like, I'm going to cut this off. This is not going to hold me prisoner anymore. Because guys, uh, when you allow angry emotions to accumulate over time like a pressure cooker, it's going to eventually explode in destructive and inappropriate ways that are only going to hurt the people you love the most. It's going to leave you with regrets. Number seven, rely on God's control. Seriously, if you really believe that God has a plan for your life, you will experience contentment and peace. You know, there's a, there's a, for our people, I did an illustration, and you're just going to have to visualize this, but I, I brought out two white pillars. One said goodness and one said control. And I stood between it and I said, as long as I stand between goodness, believing that God is a good God that loves me, and between control, believing that God is in control and he has my back, as long as I'm here, I'm going to experience contentment and peace. But it's when I step outside of those pillars and I say, well, I know God's in control. I know he uh, is still on the throne, but you know, I don't, I don't know if he loves me or not. I've made a lot of mistakes. When that happens, what happens? Peace and contentment go down. Worry, fear, and anger begin to rise. Maybe I step over here and say, well, I know he's a good God, but I don't know if, I don't know if he's on the throne anymore or not, man. Look at what's going on in the news. Peace and contentment go down. Anger, worry, and fear rise. And that's why if you're a believer and you profess that God's a good God and you believe he's on the throne and has your back, then you have to stand between those two pillars. And when you do... This anger will no longer, or any other issue will no longer be a problem for you. For instance, maybe you were bidding on a new home and you lost the bid, you didn't get it. It's tempting to want to get angry, but then all of a sudden you realize, you know what? God has a plan for my life. I may not completely understand what he's doing, but I trust him. I believe he has my back. There's no reason to get upset. Anger is not something you can prevent But as long as you keep it under control and don't allow it to become a habit or a pattern, you will have more peace and healthier relationships. I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me if you would. Every head bowed for just a moment. No one's looking around. I'm going to simply ask you how many of you would be honest before God that you would own it. And you'd raise your hand and say, pray for me, Steve. I have anger issues. Just raise it and then put it back down. Yeah, all over the room. So here's what I want us to do, and this may be, seem a little odd, but 
I'm going to ask everybody in the room, would you just cup your hands in front of you like you're holding water? Just cup your hands in front of you. And I'm going to pray for every one of us. And I'm asking that if you have anger issues, if you have any issues whatsoever right now, but specifically anger issues, I want you to see yourself putting the anger issues in the palms of your hands. Father, I thank you and I praise you right now for your faithfulness in our life. And I thank you, God, that he who is in us is greater than he who's in the world. I thank you, God, that you've given us the power to say no to sin. And so now, Lord, as we place all of our anger issues in the palm of our hand, we're giving it to you. We're saying no to sin. And so right now, guys, I want you to just dump it out. Just let it go. Drop it. Once and for all, Father, we're trusting you with this. And we ask, Lord, that you would just continue to Give us the motivation and the desire to do something about this. Give us the heart to break this habit of anger once and for all, for our sake, for our children's sake, for our spouse's sake, and certainly, God, for your sake. Thanks, God. We love you and we praise you. We just ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Crossing. I'll be out there to sign if anybody wants to. And I just want you to know I love you guys. God bless. So good. There's, man, I just want to let you know, for those of you here in this room and those of you who are watching with us online, there's, there's two things that, that breaks my heart, that burdens me uh, pretty deeply. And I know it breaks the Lord's heart too. And the first thing is this, is that I know that uh, in this room, and, and like I said, those who are watching, there's some of you, you've not started that intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You've not said yes to him. And uh, as we talk through all these different habits, specifically anger this week, you are going to go out of this room and you're going to try to break the habit of anger. You're going to try to break the habit of sin, but you can't. It's not possible. You're not strong enough on your own. I'm not strong enough on my own. I don't have the power to defeat sin, but Jesus does. And when you start that intimate personal relationship with him, when you invite him into your life, when you say, I want to give all control to you, he gives us the greatest gift, and that is salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit to come take residence inside of us. So as we are trying to defeat these habits, the Holy Spirit is our helper. He helps guide us and direct us, convict us. And so I want to invite you, if you've not made that decision in your life, if you're tired of trying so hard, but it's not working out, if you are just exhausted because you're trying to be good and you're trying to do the right thing, I just want you to know that's never going to work out for you. It didn't work out for me. It wasn't until I started that walk. It wasn't until I said, I trust in the name of Jesus, that he came and he took the place in my life that I was filling with other things. And he's been teaching me through his word, He's been teaching me through his spirit. He's been teaching me through the the church and the people around me. And I I want that for you. And I know he wants that for you. In just a little bit, when the music starts, there's going to be an opportunity. For those of you who have not made that decision, you haven't been in the waters of baptism, you never declared Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, today's the day you make that decision. If you're watching online, there's someone online right now, you just say, hey, that's me. That's my story. I am so tired of doing it on my own. I need him. And there's going to be someone right there to help guide you and direct you. And so during this next song, 
you would practice one of those steps. You would take exercise. You'd get up from your seat. You'd walk. You'd talk to somebody and help them, let them help you make that next step in following him. The second thing that breaks my heart is for as Christians, and I'm talking specifically about myself, when we live contrary to what he teaches us, when we don't look very much different to the world, we give him a bad name in whatever context you, are, you find yourself in. We're not shining bright. We actually look exactly the same as the rest of the world. The anger is overtaking us. People look at you and they're like, is that Jesus? And what it does is it doesn't draw people closer to him. It actually draws people away from him. I don't want to be a part of that. Where's the fruit in your life? Where's the fruit in your life, Corey? And maybe that's you too. That, that breaks my heart and it breaks his heart that we don't represent him well in our lives. My, my plea to you, for those of you who are here, in these next moments, for us as Christians, that you would identify what it is that is drawing people away from him. You would come up here to these steps. You'd get down on your knees and you'd say, here it is, Lord. Would you help me? You know, as Steve was instructing us to hold it in our hands, the anger issues or whatever sin issue that you have, and he asked us to drop it. I went back to me personally. There's a lot of times when I've just, instead of dropping it at the feet of Jesus, I just slowly put it right back in my pocket. I walked outside these doors and I kept trying to do it myself. And I was like, I'm not ready to relinquish that control. But I'm telling you today, one of the ways you can physically drop it is by coming up and giving it to him. And the last thing I want to share with you is this, is, you know, youth sports is another outlet for anger. If you know, you know. If you're a coach, you've seen it. If you've been in the stands, you've seen it. And the Lord taught me an incredible lesson yesterday in youth sports. A year ago, I was coaching a first and second grade ba uh, basketball team, my son's team. And as I was moving around the court trying to help the kids get in different positions, I had a, a grandparent uh, angrily uh, accuse me and say, hey, I need you to get out of my way. I was in their way. They couldn't see their grandkid. Stop coaching the way you're coaching. Go back on your sideline. I turned around and there was some anger that came inside of me as anger came out of that person. And it... It left an imprint on my, my life for the last year. Well, yesterday I was coaching, and funny how God is, is he put that grandchild on my team this year in the same league. But I learned something when that grandparent came up to me, and he says, hey, I don't know if you remember me. And I says, I remember you. He says, but last year I lost control of my anger. And I said some things that I shouldn't have said to you. I didn't understand how you were, what you were doing and how you were doing it, but I see it this year, and I just want you to know that I am so sorry. What I learned in that was even though a year has passed by, his anger affected me. But when he came up and he said, I need to release this, it not only released for him, but it took a huge weight off my shoulder as well. And I just wonder... Is there something in this room that you have done to somebody else? Is there something that I have done to somebody else that I have let them sit in my anger for too long and I have not went back to that person to say I'm sorry?
Maybe the Lord will just continue to teach you like he's teaching me. And that's what he does in this time of invitation. So I invite you to stand to your feet. As we move into this time, they wouldn't stand still. You'd exercise the gift of moving and humbling yourself. Would you pray with me? God, we love you. We're so thankful for this opportunity to worship you. We're so thankful for your word and your spirit. And I pray, God, that we are... We've never arrived. Would you continue convicting us and impressing upon us what we need to do, what our action is? God, would you allow us to relinquish all control to you, to trust you? For those of the people in the room and online who have not trusted in the sweet name of Jesus, that in this moment, would you just make it so abundantly clear that you have chosen them, that you love them, and your heart breaks for them. And Lord, I pray that they make a decision to follow you today. God, would you help us? and guide us and direct us in this time of worship. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.